The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 13th, 2022. Tax week. Gotta get on that. Get on that now. I had a friend of mine once who didn't do her taxes for years, but uh, because of the industry that she was in, she wound up like prepaying a lot. Uh, and so she knew that she was getting money back from the government, but was too lazy to do it and knew that she would never get audited because the government doesn't chase people down so they can pay money. They chase people down because they expect that you are cheating them out of money. Anyway, public service announcement. Go ahead and get that done if you haven't already. We got some politics to talk about whilst you do it, including this. Joe Biden is talking a lot about issues that people don't like him for this week. He's talking to Democrats. He's talking to independents. He's talking to possible persuadable voters that are currently not exactly in love with the man or his party while we march on to the midterms in the fall. But. While the president continues to give members of his party some talking points on unpopular issues, it doesn't seem like it's going so far. Indeed, one embattled Democrat running in the Senate recently went to the border to tour the situation on our southern border. What's more, she's from New Hampshire a state that literally borders our northern neighbor. What does that mean? And can we expect more behavior from Democrats like that going forward? Also, Liz Cheney, somebody for whom we are eventually going to have to get our asses out to Wyoming to cover. She has a fascinating Rolodex. (laughs) In fact, when you think about it, literally the entire system of Republican power is mainlined directly into this Liz Cheney effort to retain her position. And she just raised an eye-popping amount of money. God knows how you would even attempt to spend that level of money in a state that has as few people as Wyoming. We will talk a little bit more about the financial fault lines happening out there in the cowboy state. I think it's the cowboy state. And we will also uh, be speaking with Jeff Maurer, one of our favorite uh, folks. We're going to have a larger conversation about populism, specifically what's happening out in France. Will perpetual populist pest Marie Le Pen finally murder Macron? Well, I don't know. They got some eight-month election thing. That's very weird. Before we go any further, though, 
I want to read to you a, uh, a missive from Donald Trump's listserv. Dr. Oz is pro-life, very strong on crime, the border, election fraud, our great military and our vets, tax cuts, and will always fight and support our under-siege Second Amendment. He will ensure America will become an energy independent again. Dr. Oz passionately believes in high-quality education and protecting parent involvement throughout the process. But perhaps most importantly, I believe that Mehmet Oz will be the most able to win the general election against a radical left Democrat looking to do unthinkable harm. Harm to our country. Women in particular are drawn to Dr. Oz for his advice and counsel. I've seen this many times over the years. They know him, believe in him, and trust him. Likewise, he will do very well in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh, where other candidates will simply not be accepted. He knows his job is to serve every single Pennsylvanian. Dr. Oz is smart, tough, and will never let you down. Therefore, he has my complete and total endorsement. Good luck, Dr. Oz, our country. Needs you. That is an excerpt from Trump's endorsement of Dr. Oz in the Pennsylvania Republican primary. Dr. Oz is currently deadlocked in a race or behind, depending on which poll you look at, against David McCormick, somebody that also had very strong Trump ties. I don't want to go fully into this, but I do think that it is interesting that. Trump is now focusing on very electability reasons. I think in in reading his listserv and his endorsements, very often they are either just somebody that he clearly met for two seconds at Mar-a-Lago, in which he has about a corresponding two sentences that they have their complete and total endorsement, or it will center around his favorite topic, the 2020 election. The fact that Trump goes into, oh, this is a general election candidate, where a lot of his endorsements previous to this were people for whom believed in uh, uh, the, the Trump world 100% and he didn't care about the general election, or at least he didn't talk about it like this. Meanwhile, you got to imagine that the McCormick camp is stinging. This was their first ad after the Trump endorsement. I'm Dave McCormick and I approve this message. The real Mehmet Oz. Senator Clinton, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Dr. Fauci is too, but he's a very disciplined leader. Yes. He's a wonderful scientist. We need to work with China. And I love working in China. Challenging your beliefs about what it means to be male or female. How do we keep guns out of the wrong person's hands? The greatest national security threat that we have is obesity. And we haven't had any interaction with President Trump at all. Mehmet Oz, a complete and total fraud. Total fraud. Yep, the Trump-endorsed candidate who didn't stand with Trump. And according to reporting, he's going to keep with that line. Doesn't matter who Trump endorsed. You are not Trumpy enough for McCormick. Interesting. But first... President Biden has made himself a week. He's spending it talking about things that, you know, he's unpopular on. Monday, he addressed his own party and specifically frustrations from some that he has done next to nothing on guns. 
And so Biden put a restriction on so-called ghost guns, a.k.a. kits for which you can order on the Internet and assemble yourselves. He's also spending time to highlight what he's doing at the pump. He is giving a waiver to E15 gasoline, a gas that contains up to 15% ethanol. Normally, this gasoline is banned during the summer because of environmental concerns. And so while you would imagine the people that are upset that Biden isn't doing enough on guns are probably the same people that would be upset that he is loosening environmental restrictions for more gas. At the very least, this version, one that involves corn and therefore is a a popular thing with Midwestern senators and congressmen will hopefully have some kind of material effect at the pump during the summer while it'll at least show that he's doing something. And the Biden administration, including outgoing press secretary Jen Psaki, made sure to prepare the American public for a brutal inflation report which showed prices jumping 8.5% year over year in March, the largest such jump since 1981. And I like to point this out all the time for context before your boy was born. We're going to talk more about inflation on Friday's show. The point I want to highlight here is that there is a palpable fear in this administration. And with good reason. COVID numbers are as good as they've been for as long as they've been for months. And yet, Biden can't shuffle his approval rating past the low 40s, in some polls frequently dipping into the mid-30s. He's dangerously underwater with independence, and crucially, he has not looked at favorably at all on the number one issue that respondents to these polls say is their prime focus. The economy. And all that is before we get in to a long, hot campaign summer where nothing is going to get done legislatively and the accumulated record of the Biden administration will be poked, prodded in the most loaded terms possible. And so I bring you this insanity. All of that is preamble. So I can tell you about this crazy thing that happened. Senator Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire went to the flipping southern border so she could tour the facilities, speak with Border Patrol agents, and criticize her own party. This is from a WMUR local media report about exactly that. She says ending the restriction known as Title 42 could lead to many more people trying to cross the border both legally and illegally. Our frontline personnel need significant additional numbers, people um, on the ground at the border. Uh, They need more technology. Uh, They need access roads. And in some places they need physical barriers. The administration really needs to step up here, develop a plan and get more resources to the southern border. 
And by the way, Hassan is one of the better polling bubble Democrats. She's between 5.5 and 10.5% up on her various perspective matchups, but she's taking no chances. What it says to me is that Democrats up and down the ticket believe that the border is the next crisis that some are predicting will hamper them going into the fall, even more so when you are talking about tight races. At odds here is the lifting by the Biden administration of a pandemic era health regulation that allowed Border Patrol to more quickly expel those coming across because of COVID reasons. The lifting of Title 42 is expected to encourage more migrants than last year, which if you have a memory that spans 12 months, you will know turned into a series of mini scandals. And so embattled Democrats, some of whom are not polling as well as Hassan, have warned against removing the restriction. Mark Kelly of Arizona, Raphael Warnock in Georgia are two examples. And by the way, at least below the Mason-Dixon line when it comes to proximity to the southern border. So here's my question. Are we going to see a conga line of Dems? to the border, doing tours that previously only Ted Cruz and Paul Gozer used to do? Will this put pressure on the Biden administration to, like they did with those other issues, get some talking points out there that these embattled candidates can hide behind? Is it finally time to dispatch Kamala to the border? We spent a lot of time on this show talking about Donald Trump's enemies list. Brian Kemp down in Georgia, probably the biggest example. And in that example, Donald Trump has not, at least to this point, seemed successful in dislodging the governor with a very potent primary challenge. But there is one name for whom I think, at least in terms of raw media tonnage, Trump might want to most nuke from orbit. Liz Cheney. Yes, the Republican congresswoman, the at-large seat in Wyoming. She has not only become the face of the elected Never Trump movement, but in a lot of ways, the face of the January 6th commission. And unsurprisingly, Donald Trump wants her the hell out of Congress throwing his weight behind Harriet Hageman. But let's remember that Liz Cheney isn't some geek off the street. She is son of Dick. She is a daughter of the American conservative movement that dominated the Republican Party for not only my uh, entire adult life, but you could make the argument to literally take my age right now of 39 and inverse that from the moment that I was born. That's how long there have been the same dudes in charge of the Republican Party. And if there's one thing that those dudes have, it's cash. Liz Cheney set a personal fundraising record, uh, she announced today. 
with over $2.94 million raised in Q1 of 2022. So we're only talking about from New Year's Eve till uh, a few weeks ago, damn near three mil in the bank in a state where she's got pretty high (laughs) name recognition. I don't know how she's going to spend it, but it is a lot of cash. By the way, she wound up raising more than the uh, new House GOP conference chair who replaced Liz Cheney when all of this hoo-ha got started. Elise Stefanik raised over $2 million, which we're imagining is not $2.94. As for Cheney, she has now raised $10 million in this race and currently has $6.8 million on hand. So let's take a look at either side of this contest. Hageman essentially essentially has the Young Turks, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, Peter Thiel, people for whom have not traditionally been the major power brokers of the Republican Party, but have enjoyed tremendous success and influence over the past six years. But on the other, George W. Bush, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, and Paul Ryan all of whom have financially backed Liz Cheney. And you've got to imagine that a lot of this is some of the liberal donor network. I mean, she is on cable news a lot. The cable news that liberals watch, especially if they are still dialed into the Trump show. And right now she is effectively as much the chief antagonist as anybody else. but. Unlike Adam Schiff or Michael Avenatti or anybody who has filled this role in the past, she's got a name and a bridge back to old world Republican power. And so the question is this, no matter how much cash you get, can you get elected if your name is Cheney in Wyoming? A reminder that the state has 70% Republican registration. There is certainly not enough Democrats in that state to save her, even if she objectively, uh, objectively flirted with switching parties. And in the only poll that I've been able to find on this race taken back in December, Hageman had a 20% advantage. Now, the only thing that could really save Liz Cheney is the fact that this is not a totally clear field for Hageman. In fact, there is another person that was thought to be the front runner in this race until he revealed that he had been in a sexual relationship with somebody who was much younger than him. It was a very sad story, and he was thought to not be a factor until he stayed in the race. But the question is, can Liz Cheney hold on? To me, it seems like a bit of a stretch. But I'm going to be out there. <laughs> I'm going out to Wyoming. I want to see the vibes. These are that this is probably the biggest election that I am very curious for a vibe check. I feel like that that those might be my most interesting bar conversations. Politics, politics. Politics, politics.
Ladies and gentlemen, you can support this very, very show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend, I am heading on out to uh, Ohio, traipsing around the state. Thank you to everybody who's who's emailed me and, and contacted me and DM me, offering their, their houses and their apartments and their uh, 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 to buy me a beer. Uh, I, I will update everybody as I am out there. Uh, if there is ever an opportunity to do any kind of a meetup, heads up though, there, there probably will not be a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of, of of pre-warning, largely because I don't know where the hell I'm going. Like, and I don't mean that like I haven't done any research. It's just that political scheduling for campaigns is weird, and sometimes you just don't know where you're gonna be. So. With that being said, I'll be all over the place. I'll be covering stuff. Uh, uh, so normal episodes next week, but we will have uh, uh, stuff coming into the next week and especially on the um, Patreon feeds, live as live, close to live uh, sounds from Ohio as I get my, I get my, my, my little hooks. In this Republican primary with uh, Gibbons versus Mandel seems to be the uh, the, the final two chasing to the uh, the finish line in what will eventually be a opportunity for a Democrat for the Democrats to grab a seat in the Senate. This is going to be the vacated Republican Rob Portman seat. So Tim Ryan a Ohio congressman looking to to snag one for the blue team could be a little bit of a uh, counterfactual uh, gain for the Democrats if that were to happen, or it would be somebody that is heretofore untested on the national stage or on a statewide stage, Gibbons or Mandel retaining that seat and going to Washington. The way that you fund that if you would like that content or when you like that content is by going to take politics seriously.com because when I'm out there, because I got to go out there on a, uh, a weekend, that means that the stuff that will uh, filter out to people first will be on the Patreon feeds. The ones that you get, if you join in at the $3 level at take politics seriously.com. You know, you get that bonus episode on Sunday night, Monday morning. You get that bonus episode on Thursday. That's the late edition. That's the latest news that we cover. Head on over there. Thank you to everybody. We've we've seen a nice little surge. Uh, uh, hopefully, as we get back on the road, we continue to see that. Uh, uh, and I can continue to do more and more and, and head out on the road more and more. So thank you very much. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is not an expert on France, but... We're going to talk about France. 
I, I very much love this guy's Substack. I might be wrong is the name of it. He is a former last week tonight writer, and I think he has adapted exceptionally well to the world of online uh, 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 writing. Why don't you go ahead and uh, let's welcome to the show, Jeff Maurer. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thanks very much for having me. I don't know anything about this France election. I don't know when it started. I don't know when it might end. I, I know that that Macron has been the president for a while, and I've heard of 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 Marie Le Pen being the the populist force of uh, uh, of France for I think my entire adult life. I, I don't know when I first heard of Marie Le Pen's name, but I think it might be high school. Uh, so, so where are we right now as we are recording this uh, Tuesday, April 12th? Well, we are, are in America. So that's yes. the first disclaimer yeah. that um, if I'm the expert, then God help us. I, this is my disclaimer. I always do when I write these articles um, about France or Ukraine or you know, gambling or any number of things. I, I, I read a bunch of articles and then I summarize what I read and I add jokes to it. Yes. And that's, that's my process. And if that is not a sufficient level of expertise for people, then I think that is a totally fair then assessment. go to France or listen to a show that isn't, then isn't my show where I obviously exactly. don't know anything about it. I just want to talk to somebody who I it's, know it, knows enough that I'm going to learn something. And I and trust I, me that you'll learn something too. I know enough that I wrote an article about it. I, I put my, put my hat in the ring when I, uh, or my chapeau in the ring as sure. it were. There we go. Uh, so I, I claimed some level of, I don't know, expertise, but I read about it and it's, you're right. It's English language. So what do you want? What exactly. You want, come on. All right. Um, so where we are right now is we're headed to the runoff the way they do it in France. There is a first round, which is, uh, most people in France are in the first round. There are a jillion candidates, um, and, Four and this, or five and of this them is, credible. This is par parliamentary, or is this like a, a, an, an executive? Uh, they have a president. They have yeah, a president. This is, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. We're not, it's not the British thing where we're just electing parties and the party is going to choose a prime minister. This is a president. They get a, you know, a limo and fanfare <laughs> and all that. It's pretty yeah. cool. It's pretty cool. Um, so they had the first round on Sunday, and okay. the top two finishers are now going into a runoff two weeks from now. And those top two finishers are Emmanuel Macron, who is already the president of France and Marine Le Pen, whom he beat in the second round in 2017. And you're right that Marine Le Pen, it seems like she's been around forever. And that's partly because you probably remember her dad who ran this party before that might be she it. ran it and was in the runoff in 2002. So yes, there was a long history of Le Pen's in French politics. And specifically in the the more populous uh, element of of France that 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 they have they have led this uh, uh, specific element of the electorate long before we we even had these kind of conversations both in America and in Britain about you know the surge of populism quote unquote. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, Marine Le Pen's dad, Jean Marie Le Pen, who passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he, he, I mean, he, he goes way, way back in French politics, way, way back. And it was kind of a big deal when he made the runoff in 2002, he lost the runoff. He did not become president, but it was a big deal because he was seen is seen as like quite far right. And yeah. I think that's a person, I think it's an awfully fair assessment. Interestingly, he was ultimately kicked out of the party in, I think 2011 by his daughter, 
because of statements that he made about the Holocaust. So that's the kind of waters That'll he's been. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, you read the comments that he made and you go, oh, yeah, that'll uh, that'll get you kicked out, even of a quite far right European party. So that's kind of the waters that he was swimming in. And really, I mean, I, I think the party back under him, the closest American equivalent, you know, people want to go to Trump. Eh, OK, maybe uh, it's like the John Birch Society. It's like quite okay. far right. Yeah, it's quite way out there, really on the fringes of. Well, I think it's fair to say you're on the fringes of Nazi stuff when you're making statements about how the Holocaust wasn't that big of a deal, which is what he did. Yeah, that is sort of the brand that he developed. And one of the things Marine Le Pen has tried to do and done with some success, especially in this election, is she's kind of tried to make the party seem a little softer, a little more credible. Uh, you know, she's dragged it towards the center quite a bit, you know, enough that she's made the runoff twice in a row now. And a lot of people think that this time around, she has a much better shot at winning than she did last time around where she got she got trounced two to one by Macron. Last time around, this time, Macron's still favored to win, but people think it might be close. In the intervening time since that last election, there does seem to be an element of popular unrest even before the coronavirus stuff, which obviously has kind of inflamed uh, a lot in terms of uh, lockdown measurements. But before that, you had the gold jacket protest. There there's seemed to be a vulnerability to, to Macron, but in my very, very mm. absent-minded following of the coverage of this election, it didn't seem like it was particularly close until, you know, really only a few weeks ago when it when it seemed like things had had, had closed. Was that your sense in in writing this? Yes, yes. And you kind of touched on two things there that are kind of interesting elements of the story. The first is uh, the yellow vest protest. You you just translated as golden jacket, which that, that's no, yeah, <laughs> that's that's that most, makes it sound yeah. a lot fancier than it is. I, I don't, I don't know, know. I don't know. I don't know why I gave it a bit of a Notre Dame <laughs> sheen here. Uh, uh, the golden jacket, it the sounds, yellow vest. It wow. sounds like it sounds like if you win if you win a, a tennis tournament in Monaco, they might give you the golden jacket. Yeah, exactly. No, and this you get is, to this, wear the golden jacket for the next year. <laughs> this betrays for any kind of populist instinct that I might be signaling to any of our listeners that I indeed went to a private school. So uh, uh, that is that is it. Yeah, the, the well, golden I, I don't, jacket. That's hilarious. I don't know. I don't know what the best translation is. I don't know. It, it's it, it called yellow vest, golden jacket, whatever it is, because uh, the protesters took to wearing those, uh, you know, like yellow vests that road workers wear, the like yes. reflective yes. ones. Um, and so that happened a year after roughly a year after Macron took office. He took office in 2017 In 2018. There were these populist protests sparked by Macron trying to raise the gas tax. And this is something that this kind of hits close to home because I'm a big climate change guy. I'm always trying to figure out, you know, what what policies are going to get us out of this mess? What things do we need to do to reduce carbon emissions? One of the obvious things to do is to raise the price of carbon. That can take the form of a gas tax. But I am also aware that that is quite unpopular. And these protests in 2018 really were noticed in much of the world, especially in the circles that I run in, because you saw Macron doing the thing that a lot of environmentalists would say, OK, this is a good kind of no brainer thing that we need to do. And it really did not go over well. And there was a lot of 
left wing opposition, but both left wing and right wing. You know how populism kind of yep yep blurs yeah, that yeah, cuts, distinction cuts across. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But certainly some of it was left wing people saying, you know, working class people need to pay for gas and you're raising the price of gas. So that's hitting them in the pocketbook. And obviously that has a lot of truth to it. Um, so those protests, they really started with the gas tax and then turned into being about all sorts of other things. After a couple months, it was kind of unclear. Is this a left wing labor movement? Is this a right wing xenophobic movement? Because, of course, that immigration comes in inevitably. Yeah. And it's so it is kind of hard to characterize the movement, but there was certainly unrest. There were protests. They got violent at a couple points. And in 2018, a lot of people were writing Emmanuel Macron's political obituary. They said uh, he came in as a center left guy and now he's alienated the left and he's done for. Here we are. He's made the second round. He's a favorite to win the second round. So those obituaries were certainly premature. That's one of the first things that I think is interesting. The second thing, as you touched on, there are kind of these, you know, shifting coalitions. So it's hard to tell is this candidate surging or is their main opponent falling apart? Yeah. One of the things that happened in this election, because people might be seeing all these articles about, oh, Marine Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, she surged. She got into the second round a couple months ago. People thought she was dead in the water. And now here she is one step away from the French presidency. She got outflanked on the right, believe it or not. Mm. There is a guy named I, I'm going to do my best with these French names. Uh, Eric Zamor. And it's probably Eric Zamor. But um, he is sort of the French Tucker Carlson. He's a TV commentator. He is very, very, very far right. Immigration is his main thing. Mm. He was doing real well like two months ago. People thought he might get into the second round. But when Russia invaded Ukraine, the bottom kind of fell out from underneath his campaign because guess what? This super right wing guy has said a lot of nice things about Vladimir Putin. Mm. And during the debates, they talked a lot about Ukraine and he just didn't do an outstanding job of making it clear that he thinks that <laughs> invading a sovereign nation unprovoked is, is bad. Yeah, is a bad idea, which which even for the fractious politics of the French, uh, they still are a little sore about that. So you want you want to make sure that you yeah. highlight that national sovereignty <laughs> is a real big issue. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, because you're right. They've got personal experience with a somewhat similar situation. You know, strangely, Zamor was not the only one who kind of had a weird position on that issue because Marine Le Pen paid a high profile, very chummy visit to Vladimir Putin back in, I think it was 2018, where, you know, she was photographed with him and it, it was a it was a real bad look. Another one of the candidates, Valerie Pekress, had uh, one of her main allies go work for a Russian petrochemical company. The leftist guy, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Well, if you're a leftist, you've got a long history of kind of positive statements about Russia. So all of the candidates except Macron yeah. struggled to say, I don't like Putin and I think this is bad. And, and, and by the way, even Macron came out and said that uh, Biden shouldn't be calling him like a, a butcher and a murderer. <laughs> you know, like that, that was uh, that there, there is something that has come up during this, this uh, conflict here in, in Ukraine is the, the very complicated relationship that Europe has to have with Russia, uh, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to some of these, uh, uh, you know, gas lines and, and gas trade and stuff like that. Like it is, it is fascinating to see, 
you know, we're largely here in America. Russia is a geopolitical foe. Obviously, there's a long history of of of, of uh, uh, back and forth, but they're kind of just another big country that you know we 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 deal with here and again. And so people can be very fast and loose about what they say. Whereas whereas mm-hmm. there there is there is some real politic that happens. I think specifically with Germany and France. Yeah, we certainly have fewer ties to Russia. We are certainly a heck of a lot less energy dependent on Russia than much of Europe is. Though France is much less energy dependent on Russia than Germany Germany. is. And I think we can see that in the reactions to this crisis. France is all in on nuclear power. I'm not sure everyone knows this, but France has a ton of nuclear power and their carbon emissions are pretty darn low because they got a billion nuclear plants. Uh, well, you know, it feels like that was a uh, that was a good bet for them, because uh, considering uh, where, where we are right now, certainly a better a better bet than uh, Russian gas, I would say. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, OK, so so uh, how much has the lockdown played into this, if at all? Because I, I do want to get back to, you know, the the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine upending the, the status of, of stuff. But. Uh, did did hmm. France come out of the lockdowns with bitter feelings toward the the, the sitting president who uh, uh, imposed them? And, and did Macron p- uh, pay any kind of price for that as, as somebody run on it? The, the conventional wisdom seems to be. And of course, let me reiterate, this is an area where I'm just relying on what everyone else. You're, you are you are says. summarizing the things that you've read. Yes. I have not put any polls in the field in no. France. My no. honestly, my polling ground game is subpar at best. Um <laughs> Everyone else's character, not everyone else's necessarily, but the broad consensus seems to be that Macron got pretty high marks for his handling of COVID. One of the main things he did, and I think this is kind of interesting if you're asking yourself, oh, Macron, what is he? Is he a centrist? Is he a leftist? Is he a secret kind of right wing Angela Merkel type figure? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that argues that now nah, he's like a he's like a slightly on the left kind of guy is that he spent a lot during the pandemic. He had a pretty, pretty similar approach to the United States, where we went, we spent a lot. We decided there's going to be this gigantic hole in the economy. We are going to fill that hole with government spending. It's a very Keynesian approach to the situation. Macron went much the same way. He increased spending, um, and it seemed to have worked pretty well. Uh, France is presently in the biggest economic boom in 52 years. Mm-hmm. So that certainly helped good. his candidacy. Always good. That's if always you're the good. President. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially because he's done a lot in he, he's done a lot to change France's economy for the better or for the worse, depends on who you ask. But the logic has been our economy was it was too stodgy. There were it was too hard to hire and fire people. There were too many regulations making it hard to do business. We're going to basically make it make it more little more business friendly, make it more competitive with the rest of Europe. And, you know, the logic is, and therefore it will run better. And then we can redistribute that money in other places. And at the moment in the short run, that seems to have kind of worked because again, their economy is doing pretty well right now. They have come, they have bounced back from COVID pretty quickly. And yeah, he's getting high marks in that area and that is helping him. It seems at the moment. So then he has the big uh, uh, problem where everybody's writing him out with the protests, with the gas tax. Now, all of a sudden, COVID comes in. He seems to have cut himself a, a good figure in terms of his leadership there. Whenever the economy's doing well, it's a good time to be the president. So then mm-hmm. how does 
the 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 the, the, the stumble here at, at at the end happened? Is it something involved with 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 the the the, the Ukrainian invasion or something else? Well, I'm not sure he stumbled. We will really find out a lot in about two weeks when this yeah. runoff happens. Like I said, last time he beat Marine Le Pen two to one. He got two thirds of the vote. It was a thumping. Yeah, it was a th- it was a real thumping. This time around, most people are predicting a much closer race. We'll see what happens. We'll yeah. see what happens. I, I, I don't know. Again, I just go off of what I read. It seems like it will be closer this time around. I do think that this narrative of the Marine Le Pen surge is overplayed because I think the dynamic was, you know, as I described, you had this guy who's way, way, way to the right, Eric, Eric Zamor. He ran in, he, he was doing well and then ran into problems when the invasion happened and the bottom kind of fell out of his campaign. And I think most of his supporters went over to Le Pen. So when you see, you know, whoa, Marine Le Pen surging in the polls, it's like, well, it's because her main competitor dropped out. Just immolated. It, it's, yeah. 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 He just, and he ended up at 7%. He did not do well. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, it's an interesting dynamic. Okay, so, so he, so he didn't drop out. Like he, it was, it was just his, uh, his, his status fell. He was still running. It wasn't like he dropped out and endorsed her or anything. Nope. St- still gotcha. ran, just got his ass kicked though. Gotcha. He has now that, now that the ass kicking is official, he has endorsed her. He's encouraged his supporters to go over to her in the second round. And the ideological split, in France is interesting right now. And I think this kind of tells us something about the effectiveness of the yellow vest movement. And then also, because let's make it about America. I mean, let's talk about what matters here, right? The United States. Um, We always wonder what could a, what could a far left candidacy, because Bernie Sanders damn near won. What would that look like in the United States? How would that go? Well, we might be able to learn a little bit of something from France. So you have Macron, who most people consider to be basically in the center. You might argue he's kind of center left, but he's certainly center or center left. He's pretty damn near. European center, though. Right. Center of France. Center of France. France. So it is the European center. There's an E at the end, but it also is is left for American (laughs) politics. C-E-N-T-R-E. Yes. Yes, The center of. uh, Yeah. Uh, so yeah, which would be a little bit on the left of American politics, but center of France. And then in this first round, he basically had three candidates to his right. He had Le Pen, Zamor, and a third lady named Valerie Pacres, who was supposed to be, her thing was like, I'm the Angela Merkel. And France went, no, you're not. Yeah, And she did very poorly. She got, I think, 5%. So three candidates to his right, only one candidate to his left. This guy named Jean-Luc Mélenchon, he goes, he's an older guy. He, he's, uh, I don't like to make everything an analogy to the United States, but he's kind of the Bernie Sanders or the Jeremy Corbyn. He's an old yeah. leftist guy. He's been around forever. He's definitely on the left, the far left. To the extent that the yellow vests had a candidate in this race, it's him. Okay. Well, he didn't win. Yeah. He didn't get to the second round. Le Pen beat him again. He was also around in 2017. Didn't quite get there in 2017. Narrowly missed this time, but it's interesting that you basically have one candidate who represents the entire left, or at least much of it, if you consider Macron center left, and he couldn't make the second round. And the and the right, which was split three ways or four ways, if you consider Macron center right, they still got a candidate in the second round. I, I will so that say, does indicate to me that the yellow vests didn't have as much heat as people thought. 
Yeah. Also, though, like that is a pretty favorable situation. If you were just looking, I mean, to remove any and all context or any knowledge of my own for, you know, French politics specifically, if you were going to say that, all right, the economy's good and you only have one person that would be on your uh, ideological flank to your side, and then you get to have three people of a national stature that would split the vote on 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 the right side. That's that's good. That that is you you would you would take that more than you know uh, three people on your ideological flank possibly uh, making you more vulnerable. But uh, you know, look, politics moves fast. <laughs> and there, there, there's a reason why. I mean, that was like like, like you said, there was plenty of of dirt thrown on on the Macron grave uh, during those protests. That doesn't seem to matter uh, two years on. And it's it's funny when you think about it to go, you know, just north there to to England that it was only a few months ago that everybody was talking about Boris Johnson being, you know, drummed out of leadership uh, right. because of, of of the parties that he had during the covid lockdown. Uh, and yeah, now he's a lame and, duck. He was a lame duck four months ago. Lame duck. And now <laughs> nobody seems to no Nobody seems to mention it. So uh, that is that is you know just a, a sign that. Unless it is right before the election, but some some things matter and and, and other things, uh, you know, are just kind of transient. Yeah, 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 that's true. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Ukraine in the last American election. And yet nope. here we are. It's it's going to be the biggest issue of Biden's presidency, almost certainly. Um, it, <laughs> Which is funny because the president had just been impeached because of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, we didn't we didn't talk we didn't talk <laughs> a lot about Ukraine, and yet an American president had been impeached because it's, of it. It's so funny that we completely forget about that. It's like that's like a minor detail. Like on Trump's Wikipedia page, that's going to get like one sentence. Oh yeah, also he was impeached for a thing that actually well, happened to do with also, the war this- that happened later on. This this was always my metaphor. With it. We spent so much time talking about the Mueller stuff, right? It was just Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. We were talking about it, oh, mm-hmm. the, the investigation, you know, the, the stuff like that. And then it didn't go anywhere. And so it was like a friend that had been like dating somebody, like you were friends, like you, you're, you're friends with them. And then all of a sudden they like break up and it's like, oh, that's really sad. And then like two weeks later on Facebook, he's like announcing his engagement to the bartender <laughs> at the 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 uh, resort he went to in Hawaii. And it's like, oh, really? Jeez, that quick? Like, like, oh, and yeah. OK, fine. Look at that. So it's just yeah. not quite as memorable. There's, there's not there's not the history there. No, no. And it gives you whiplash a little bit. And yeah. you're like, if you if you want me to invest in this, you need to give me time to make the mental shift. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I. Yeah, next time a president does something impeachable, they really got to think about my needs more. What just and, I mean, the uh, narrative. And how it's going to play in the media. Let's let's <laughs> please come on. Let let's think about this a little. You know bit who more. was good oh. at an impeachment an impeachment narrative? Richard Nixon. There was, was a new episode like every month. There was a new thing, and then he did that secret recording device plot line, and the thing just blew up. The man knew how to tell a story. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if you really wanted to go deep, you could read the prequels where LBJ installed them. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, OK, let, let me ask you about this uh, to, to wrap our conversation up. Populism. This is this is a it really, I would say, probably for the last 10 years now or coming up on 10 years, the sort of conversation of our modern global political era, the the uh, uh, already shifting, you know, that the previous model was. All right. Uh, uh, all of the uh, rich liberals are moving 
to the cities, but but also the suburbs are getting a little bit bluer and you might be seeing more of a liberal framework that is happening not only in America, but also in Britain, but also in Australia and also in Europe. Uh, uh, and And over the last eight years specifically, you've seen at least the popular analysis of this narrative kind of shift a little bit to say, wait a minute, there's no messaging here to the, to, to, to the rural areas. And maybe the suburbs aren't exactly as blue as you think. And maybe people are leaving the cities and maybe that, that was the, the, the nadir of a, a, a liberal swing. And now it's coming back the other way with conservative movements doing well in a populist sense. Uh, what do you think of that narrative broadly? Broadly, I think it's overblown. Broadly, I think it's overblown. I don't yeah. think there's nothing to it. I and I mentioned this in my article, which is on my Substack. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the narrative in 2017 was a little overblown. In 2017, when Macron won, they said populism stopped in its tracks. Yep, because Brexit and Trump had just happened. Yes, so a lot of people wrote the. Populism, the, the, the tide has been stemmed article. <laughs> yeah. Now, so somebody pointed out in my comments section, which I appreciate because we got some smart folks in there and two idiots, but some smart folks in there um, <laughs> pointed out it's not just Brexit and Trump, this, you know, the populist surge. It's also Bolsonaro, who was elected after Macron, but Bolsonaro and uh, Duterte in the Philippines. And then you got Orban and Erdogan and Duda in Poland, though those people kind of Erdogan certainly was not elected as a populist. He kind of became a populist with time. Point taken. There, there's been over the past couple of decades, we thought that things only went one way. We thought that once you're a democracy, you're a democracy forever. And we're kind of having to acknowledge it's a little fuzzier than that. And then there's also this Trumpist kind of populism that has a lot to do with immigration and other right-wing things, but then it's got a lot, it's got a left-wing element sometimes to it in that Trump sometimes kind of thumbed his nose at the conservative free market orthodoxy. Yep. Though much more rhetorically than in terms of actual policy. Marine Le Pen is kind of a good test of how successful that can be because she is still very right-wing on immigration and social issues and things like that. But she does have this pocketbook issue bent to her and that she talks a lot about the gas tax and the price of you know this thing and that thing and, and not wanting you know factories to be shut down and things like that. Some ideas that you would kind of consider to be kind of left wing stuff. That is very much part of her campaign. I think there's a little more, well, a lot more meat on the bone there than there was with Trump. So. This will be a little bit of a test to see if she can combine right wing social issue points of view with at least some kind of left e ish little bit left uh, economic stuff and then beat Macron that way. I've not seen a ton of evidence that she's done a great job of poaching left wing yellow vest unionist types, but yeah. The, if the if the Melanchon voters, the you know Bernie Sanders ish left wing voters, stay home and don't back Macron, 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 Macron. What a what a hell spawn what that would amazing, be! What an amazing, what an amazing headline! What an amazing world! I don't know what a, 
I don't know what it would look like, but <laughs> if, if the Melanchon voters stay home, if the left wing voters stay home, that could be the thing that propels Le Pen to victory. It's not impossible that she would win. So if that happens, then it will be time to say, oh, shit, someone's found a new recipe of populism that's kind of right wing and a little bit left wing and it kind of works. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that that to me is really the one thing that I find the most interesting about the conversation is uh, what do we mean by populism? And and is this just kind of uh, uh, us putting the spotlight on a conversation that is kind of constant in politics, but normally happens behind the scenes, which is the slow creaking and moving of the ideologies of, of the parties. This has always happened. The party, the Democratic Party of today bears very little resemblance to the Democratic Party of 50 years ago. And and uh, similarly to, to the Republicans, there is a lot of things that are mm-hmm. functionally different and would, you know, uh, uh, be, be shocking to either members, despite the fact that they are named the same thing. But very rarely do you see it as violently out in the open in primaries. Very rarely do you see it as something that is is a little bit more reactive. And if there's anything that I would say is happening in our global sort of populism conversation, uh, uh, results for which notwithstanding, is that the 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 mood seems to be to look out into the populace and say, I don't know what what do you guys want? What do, do you like it when I talk about Will Smith? I'll talk about Will Smith, sure. Like, uh, and and you know, there's there's an element to 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 that, and some of it is. Some of it reveals some ugly stuff. Some of it reveals stuff that I think is is you know popular because people just don't like the way things are are going, and maybe they should change. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that thing that exists in politics and media where you, to a certain extent, you have to figure out what your audience wants because if you're talking about stuff that doesn't resonate with your audience, then you're not going to have an audience for very long. Yeah, and certainly looking at things from a media perspective which is kind of what I wrote my article about, because I'm kind of reacting to the reaction a little bit yeah. in the article. Um, the the narrative in which, oh my God, France, take it over by right-wing populism. That's a, lot, that's a much splashier narrative than that centrist kind of technocratic Obama type guy won again, even yeah. though that centrist kind of technocratic Obama type guy is probably going to win again. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. He hasn't won until he's won. Uh, but the populism on the march narratives do seem a little bit funny in the context of, yeah, but they don't win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also just think it, it you know, nothing's going to start the English speaking world uh, talking about populism like there being big upsets in America and Britain. Right. Like the fact yeah. that those happened back to back that Brexit yep. and and Trump happen like bang bang I think that you can't help but have when 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 the two largest media drivers of the English speaking world have both of the same thing happen very close to each other I think that that's that's just you know it, it is what oh, it yeah. is oh and I mean I was into it I was at last week tonight I'm sure I pitched a billion the populist wave storylines I mean cuz yes it was two, it was two big events in the two, two big events in our particular media circle the english speaking yep. world that's it yeah, and then if i if a, if a canadian if, if a canadian populace had won around the same time that also would have been a gigantic thing it would have been a it would have been a great bronze medal 
It would have been, <laughs> it would have really filled out the metal stand, you know, uh, uh, but, but yeah. All right. So there we go. I feel like we've learned everything that there is to know about the French election definitively. And we have done so by way of talking to Jeffrey Maurer of the, I might be wrong Substack. Uh, I would say a, a must subscribe to one of my favorites to read. What do you have uh, coming up? Oh man, I haven't, uh, I haven't decided what Thursday's article is. I got a couple ideas. I mean, what I got coming up is more uh, politics and jokes. That's what it always is. Go. More reading stuff and adding jokes to it. That's the whole <laughs> ball game. You know, there will be, there will definitely be always that. And and anything else will just be a different spin on the genre. Well, well thank you so much for joining us. Great as always, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show, audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Jeff Maurer for being on the show, you can head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Find me on Twitch live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at px3live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com and politicsmerch.com will get you all of the merch for this show. If you'd like to hit me up with a one-time donation, it is paypal.me slash jury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20 and our cash app is px3cash. Of course, if you'd like to send me anything physical in the mail, you can make it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. However, there's only one place where you can get exclusive bonus content for this program, and it is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And, of course, the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast. If you are in the Titanic $10 tier, then I'm begging you, go to your email and check an email. I just sent it uh, uh, yesterday night for all the new nicknames. It's new spring and summer nicknames for the Titanic $10 tier. So now's your chance. If you want to change your name, go ahead to your email. If you would like to be part of it, then join in now and I'll send you the link to the to the form. But last time, last go around with the old names. Persons familiar with the matter, Andres, Unsafe DB Levels, Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV Salesman, or Spy. D, really? And vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, who I saw this weekend at Founders Day. Shout out. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley, Steven, Diana, Silent Slumbers, Katie, Adam, L, Double K Ranch, Yield Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela met them as well. DL, Steven, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle Age Mike, The Gen, J Pink, and Andrew. If 
you would like to uh, join their ranks, head over there. By the way, I, I, apologies if if I didn't also meet you on on Founders Day, and I just uh, and I just read your name and I didn't say anything. But I do specifically. I, of course, I'm going to remember the person who used my mom's name in his shout out. Like that's that's a that's a must, right? And then the couple. Olin and Angela, yeah, yeah, yeah. those are the ones I, I, I remembered. How did I turn this into a loss? I don't know. I love everybody. <laughs> Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this is the only show that dares discuss Oh. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.